Hello, welcome to the Grand Prix 24-7 podcast, your weekly insight into the world of Formula One. We were expecting anything other than Mercedes dominance in Hungary. Unfortunately, uh, we didn't get it. Welcome to the Grand Prix 24-7 podcast. I'm your host, Will Dodds, and once again, I'm joined by the editor of the website, uh, Ben Stevens. Ben, um, I thought a Grand Prix that was kind of ruined, in a way, by the fact that the rain was supposed to come and never did, and as a result, everyone was just waiting around for it to rain, and it became a bit of a mess, but nonetheless, I think... Uh, an, an interesting race with some interesting storylines. Yeah, it was definitely uh, a race with a lot of promise that didn't always deliver on that promise. I think we spent almost three quarters of the race here and on the radio. Rain's coming in eight laps, rain's coming in nine laps, and the rain never came. So <laughs> that wasn't the best. But yeah, there were definitely, while it wasn't as action-packed as uh, some of the, our previous races this season, it's, it's definitely had its uh, interesting points itself as well. Yeah, um, and I think that maybe we were expecting something wet and wild when you know we see the hasses coming in before the race even starts to to change tires and and we're kind of expecting a race you know it seemed that every five minutes we were told that it's going to rain in another five minutes and it just never happened i think that kind of it it made teams scared to pursue a kind of normal strategy and it was basically just like go as long as you can and then change the tires and and that just it didn't it didn't kind of lend itself to aggressive racing or hard driving, but you know, um, I'm I'm a defender of the Hungara ring, but uh, yeah, that that wasn't uh, one of its classics. But uh, nonetheless, um, the implications for the championship, you know, remain as always. So, I think to start off with, we'll, we'll have a look at qualifying because there's some really interesting storylines for qualifying. I guess first and foremost, George Russell in a Williams qualifying, out qualifying, sorry, Alex Albon in a Red Bull, uh, Nicholas Tifi making it to Q2 for the first time. Um, so first, you know, what happened to Red Bull in, in qualifying? You know, we only had Max Verstappen kind of in seventh. You, what went wrong? We've, we've been discussing this in the back channel quite a lot, but it's difficult to really put our finger on, on exactly why Red Bull are, are lacking pace. Yeah, I think if uh, either of us could give the answer to that question, we should be working for Red Bull because they don't really seem to know themselves, do they? Uh, they've talked themselves up a fair bit, as they have in previous weeks, but everyone sort of thought, you know, Hungary's a track that suited their car better. They'd be closer here, at least, to Mercedes, and that just wasn't the case at all. And then, as you said, obviously, if you're getting beat by a Williams in qualifying, uh, obviously, there's other factors there, too, with the drivers, but that's uh, it's definitely not a good look, is it? No, I, th- I think I, sh- I should add that I understand that Albon did not have the same parts on his car as Verstappen. And, you know, he had the issue with traffic and he was very upset on the radio afterwards. Uh, but no, that was that was not a fine moment for, for Albon. Uh, luckily, he did kind of make up for it in the race. But it seems to, to be the kind of the Red Bull, the age-old excuse with Red Bull is, you know, we don't have the engine. It's either Renault's fault or it's, it's now it's Honda's fault. But, uh, you know, looking at the number of spins that they're suffering... Um, and looking into some of the drivability issues, you know, um, Max went off more than once during the race as well. Uh, you know, not in the same fashion that he did on, on his installation lap, but there definitely seemed to be some aerodynamic gremlins um, affecting them and the drivers. 
Yeah, this is, I think we had this discussion, as you said, uh, off the podcast, basically, is this the engine? Is this the car? And it really is at a point where it might be fair to say both. As much as Adrian Newey is a legend of designing cars and has done so many great cars over the years, I mean, so far, you just look at how that car is driving on the onboards and that cannot be put down to the engine. It just looks imbalanced. It looks hard to drive. You're just basically always trying to walk a tightrope and you can't always balance on that tightrope. And we saw the result on Hungary where both drivers are struggling to keep it on the track. Um, yeah, it's it's massively concerning. And that's not something that's easy to fix, especially in this season where, or these next two seasons where, you know, parts are going to be... Uh, frozen in development so it's massively concerning i think yeah there's a there's a very good chance this is just how red bull is for the foreseeable future yeah and you know essentially to to lose to what is last year's mercedes uh in racing point and qualifying was uh you know pretty disappointing but you know if i just kind of look back on on last season, just as just for kind of a comparison to show kind of the relative development of these two teams, you know, last season, uh, 2019, Max Verstappen took pole with a, a 14.5, uh, just ahead of Bottas on a 14.6 and Hamilton on a 14.7. Whereas this year, Max Verstappen's Q, Q3 times a 14.8, whereas Hamilton was right down at a 13.4. You know, Mercedes have made an enormous jump and, and Red Bull just have gone backwards. Um, so it's, it's a real big problem. And I feel that they really talked themselves up in, in pre-season testing. But it seems like that was kind of slightly uh, full of hot air, uh, unfortunately. Ferrari, another team who I think probably you could say took a step forward this weekend. Uh, qualified fifth and sixth. Uh, I think they were slightly up on their qualifying times at this track from last year. Um, so I suggest potentially that, you know, the engine is obviously the real concern for Ferrari, but maybe these aerodynamic updates have, have helped them out a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely uh, not where they want to be, not where we want them to be in terms of having a competitive championship. There's no no doubting that. But at the same time, yeah, as you say, it's it does seem like there's been a step forward and considering where they started and sort of what we're hearing behind the scenes, uh you know, you do have to sort of maybe not take your hat off, but at least tip your cap to them. You know, uh, yeah, it, it's it, it's still it's still sort of hard to hide the disappointment and sort of put that to one side and view it objectively. At least for me, uh, you know, I just want to see someone challenge Mercedes, and if it's not Red Bull, then you think it's going to be Ferrari, and it's not. But yeah, just in terms of if took any any F1 team and sort of made the step they have from that first race in Austria to this race now in Hungary. Yeah, it's it's definitely an improvement, and that's that's nice to see. Even if it's not going to do anything to ultimately change the uh, outcome of the championship. So, so from qualifying, we get to to race day, and obviously the big pre-race incident was uh, Max Verstappen having an incident on his installation lap. Um, yeah, that that was pretty grim watching for any fans of Red Bull or any member of the Red Bull team. But they did an extraordinary job to to get that car ready. Um, you know. That was, for me, just kind of the epitome of the kind of level of, of skill and innovation that exists in Formula 1, that a team can 
repair a car and I think it was 12 minutes when you know for all the world it looked like that was uh, you know game over yeah I don't know where the or if the Netflix cameras were there in Hungary I hope they were and I hope they're going to dedicate almost the entire episode just to that repair job because yeah that was amazing nothing short of amazing it's and it's and as you say it's sort of one of the uh, incredible things about F1 is that sort of stuff that you know goes on outside the car or around the car as the case may be um, that we just don't sort of see enough of and when you factor in the fact that they're they've been on the road now for three weeks they were in uh, had the break curfew I think on Friday so they would have been pretty knackered um, and to come around and do that in 20 minutes with I think like 25 seconds to spare is just an amazing job whatever whatever Red Bull is paying them it, it's not enough uh, absolutely and I think that everyone has has earned a nice break now because you know three weeks on the spin at circuits with like almost entirely different characteristics and and what they re- require and and ask of the car being so so different you know they've done a, an excellent job and and while I've absolutely loved having Grand Prix racing to watch every Sunday and uh, qualifying and practice to watch um, it's fantastic uh, that they actually <laughs> finally going to get to have a rest and as Max Verstappen said you know we're going to have a lot of divorces uh, <laughs> unless they get to, to get to go home and, and see their their kids and their families um, yeah so so we go on and I think that really for me anyway I've spoken about this before but the race was won at the first corner because Bottas not only didn't get in front of Hamilton but he also dropped back to seventh Hamilton got away cleanly and within about four laps he's like nine seconds clear and you know unless there's a a safety car or a massive strategy or pit stop error there's just no way anyone's catching him at that point um Bottas I mean I don't know how the hell that isn't a a jump start but I obviously do not understand you know FIA tolerances or whatever but yeah can you can you explain to me why that isn't a jump start (laughs) Again, if I could explain it to you, I think I'd uh, I'd be working for the uh, FIA. Because uh, as you say, yeah, it, it's you're watching it. It's clearly like literally a jump start. He moves his car before the start before the lights go off. That's by definition a jump start. But as you say, they've got these tolerances in the sensors. Michael Massey says within the tolerance you can do that. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess what else can you say? I mean. If they say it's okay, it's okay, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose that's probably the, the the best way to look at it. And I suppose what what we saw was, you know, even had Valtteri Bottas picked up a, a five or ten second penalty or, or kind of however long, I, I imagine we'd have seen him uh, finishing in, in third. But really that, that kind of gave the race away um, right from the start. But it did give Max Stappen the opportunity to make a brilliant start and... I think as soon as we saw those kind of slippery conditions and we realised that Verstappen was going to be on the track, we knew that he would be able to maybe outperform his Red Bull a tad and and get right to the front of the grid. So how impressive was that Max Verstappen performance from you? Because I think that was probably the best we've seen so far this season. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just assuming you're saying that excluding his uh, pre-race exploits. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Because if if we're adding the two together, then sort of the score has to come down a little bit. But yeah, the race itself was... I, it was just it was just fantastic for Max, and that's why he's so highly regarded. Is because that car, as much pace as it was lacking to the Mercedes, 
you know, he made, he personally made the difference. And the fact that uh, Bottas couldn't close him enough and get past him, and realistically he should have been able to, um, that just speaks volumes to the quality of Max as a driver. Yeah, I, I was really disappointed with Bottas's performance today. Um, you know, firstly, he does a good job in qualifying. You know, he said afterwards, you know, I thought I nailed that lap and Hamilton was a tenth quicker. So, you know, I, I'm not going to criticise anyone for falling a tenth short of Lewis Hamilton when you feel that like you've nailed the lap. You know, he's he's one of he's got 90 pole positions for a reason. Um, so, I don't think anyone can hold anything against Bottas there. But he needs to be on that kind of like Nico Rosberg level of consistency. Whereas even if you're not winning, you're second every race. And you can't afford to just throw away points. And, you know, Bottas went from potentially looking on for second with fastest lap to third without the fastest lap. And the swing there is just a, I think Hamilton's now five points clear in the, in the title race. So, you know, even if Bottas wins at Hamilton's, you know, home race in Silverstone, you know, it's going to be difficult to see how he's going to kind of keep coming back at him. But yeah, I was really disappointed. I thought that he, I think that he had slightly less time to get past Verstappen than Hamilton did pulling the same strategy move last year. But I didn't really ever have faith that he was going to be able to pull that off. And, you know, he only needed one more lap, but it, it looked like he kind of took a bit too much out of the tyres early on when you kind of really started... You know, they gave him that target lap time and he went way below it. And then, you know, at the end, he didn't quite have the legs to, to complete the job. What would what, what you kind of make of that performance from him? Well, I think that's sort of the knock against Valtteri is that any sort of deviation to the plan and he's just not sort of able to adapt or adapt well enough. And as you say, like, we know this is Lewis's track and starting second, being a 10th off in quality, that's, that's nothing to turn your nose up at but you've then got to bring it home second and to mess up the way he did, uh, you know, when he's in this title fight and then not be able to close down Max. And to your point as well, I think, yes, he might not have had as much time as Lewis, but the performance gap between his car and Max's, I would argue, was significantly wider. Last season, Max Max put it on pole. So Lewis chased down a car, which technically, you know, I mean... Maybe Max just put in an outstanding lap, but you know that was a car that was fast enough for pole. Whereas this was way quicker than this Mercedes was way quicker than Red Bull in, in qualifying. Exactly, and that and that's why for me, I, I I mean he just should make a pass. Simple as that. And I, and as much as there's no way to prove prove if you swap the roles around and he was leading and Lewis was in third, I have no doubt in my mind that Lewis would have done exactly as he did last year and hunted Max down and made the pass. And that's that's the sort of the worrying thing, is that if Valtteri can't do those things, and he can't put it on pole every week, because yeah, Lewis is Lewis, is Lewis uh, he's got to sort of make these tougher weekends work in his favour, and he wasn't able to do that. In fact, he made it worse. See, the thing with when we talk about Bottas is, like, no one is saying, I don't think that he's a bad driver. You know, this is someone who who was, like, comfortably quicker than Felipe Massa during their time at Williams and was always putting pressure on in, you know, a car that that wasn't one of the best on the grid. And, yeah, he's a, a very quick driver and I think that he would give anyone in qualifying trim a, a run for their money. But I think what we want to see is we want someone who can really take the battle to Lewis. And if we can't see a 
like two or three teams fighting out. We want to see a really tight battle between the two lead drivers. And I just think Bottas is just short of, of being able to do that. You know, I don't think anyone really thinks that Nico Rosberg is a better driver than Lewis Hamilton. But what he was able to do was never relent on the pressure. You know, he would never just you know, have an off day and, and throw it in the wall or whatever or, or just fail to, to take all the points possible from that weekend. And that's why he eventually was able to, to win that title. But uh, yeah, I just don't think Bottas is well, yeah. the same kind of animal. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think further to that point, I mean, you say, and I think you're right, no, no one sort of thinks that Nico is better than Lewis or on Lewis's level with the exception of Nico himself. And I think that might be a big difference is that Nico always believed, always believed that he was good enough, even if that wasn't the case. And he sort of, you know, he said, well, if I lost in 2014, I lost in 2015. There's always things I can do to improve. And he did improve as much as that 2016 title had a few uh, things go his way that were out of both his and Lewis's control. Uh, He was always sort of, as you say, putting his best foot forward and Valtteri's not doing that. And I, I just wonder if some part of Valtteri, as much as he says on Valtteri 3.0, you know, I've done this, I've done that in the off season. I just wonder if he believes it. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You know, Rosberg, he was talking about all these tiny marginal gains that he was making. He changed his sleep schedule. He, he adjusted his gloves. You know, he did literally everything. His entire focus for that entire year, all he cared about was winning the world championship. And as you said, yeah, you know, people talk at Malaysia, people talk about Lewis's slow start. But every single time Rosberg had a chance, he capitalised on it fully. And I just don't think that the same can be said for, for Valtteri Bottas. Um, but before we get too bogged down in any Nico Rosberg chat, as much as we love it, especially when, you know, this guy is sat at home watching and appears on the on the Heineken camera. But, <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. Um yeah, we should we should kind of talk about drivers who actually are still in Formula One. Um, yeah, we we touched on on Hamilton and what a, a brilliant drive that was. But behind behind the kind of front three, um, I think we've got to give Lance Stroll some credit. Um, you know, he beat Checo in in qualifying for the second week in a row. He got up to second, and you know, he just did his job. He he had kind of decent pace throughout. I think that. You know, I think Max and Bottas had to use strategy to get past him. Uh, I mean, I know Bottas isn't the best overtaker we've ever seen, but Max is, is an excellent overtaker. But both of them had to use strategy to get past him. And yeah, a, a really solid job. And I think, you know, given the conditions, I think fourth was probably as good as as they could hope for. And, and he delivered that. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Lance. I think I've made that clear, uh, both on here and in my writing. But yeah, when he, when he puts in performance like that, there's not really much more you can ask of him. I think he, he did his job, he did it well. And yeah, as, as much as the gap uh, between himself and the top three wasn't very flattering, um, I think that sort of speaks more to the sort of class therein than it does anything he sort of uh, did on his side. So yeah, uh, I'd be very satisfied with that performance if I'm him. And if he can keep this up, he is going to change my mind about him. He's, these last two races have been... Uh, yeah, pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I think last week was kind of tainted by the Ricardo move, which I thought was just a bit... Yes. You know, it wasn't a proper move. But this was definitely a good performance from him. And, you know, after all the speculation that we've had midweek about, you know, is Vettel going to go to Racing Point to replace Sergio Perez? And everyone's like, oh, this is ridiculous. How could you ever do this? 
you know, this was not a great advert for the driver that is Sergio Perez. Um, as far as keeping a seat is concerned, you know, he qualified behind Stroll, he went backwards from the start, and, you know, he never really looked like he was going to kind of recover from that. And, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't a, good, a good weekend for Perez. And on the, on the flip side, I think it was a pretty good weekend for Vettel. So, firstly, what do you make of, of that story? I know you absolutely poo-pooed me when I said that uh, Vettel could go to Red Bull. But what about Red, Vettel to Racing Point? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, obviously, we had that little uh, powwow, um, the, uh, the for, for argument's sake, which I hope uh, you guys out there liked uh, last Thursday, talking about uh, Seba Sergio. And I went with Sergio at the time. And I think I still stand behind that. But it's really hard not to waver after a performance like this weekend, where, as you say, like it was just a really poor advertisement for him sticking around. Um, and, and then, you know, in contrast, Seb was, Seb was quality. I mean, he was better than the, the new chosen one at Ferrari and Leclerc. Uh, there's no doubt about that. So, yeah. If I'm racing point and I do have that opportunity to bring Seb in, we don't know if that's true or not. Um, we just sort of the, the wall. I mean, the story that we are believing, at least right now, is that there's an exit clause in Sergio's contract runs out July 31st, so they have till then to decide whether to get rid of him or not. Uh, so that's that means that if they if they do that, they're basing it on these first three races. And on the, and if you had to make that decision on these first three races. It's not unreasonable to go with Seb, I think. I, I think the main difference is that I, I personally think that in, in a top team, if you're going to be at the front as Racing Point, you obviously have ambitions to be. You need that kind of elite level qualifier who, who's always going to have your car in position. And Seb, whatever you think of him, you know, his racecraft or whatever, he's always been a brilliant qualifier. He's always been near the front, whether that's like right at the front during his Red Bull days or always putting pressure on Hamilton while at Ferrari. You know, he is an elite driver. And I just, I like Perez. And I think he's very good, but I don't think he's quite on that level. And I think that, yeah, obviously, keeping Lance Stroll is massively influenced by the fact that his, his dad is the chairman and funds the team. But I do think that if, if you have the opportunity to get Vettel, you still get him. Because I still think that, however much I rate Sergio Perez, I still think Vettel is as a class above. And I think this weekend was a really nice showing from him. Outqualified Charles Leclerc for the second weekend in a row. Uh, finished sixth. And, you know, that was after a, a dodgy pit stop as well from Ferrari, where they just kind of didn't quite release him. And then a car came and then... it. You know, it's just one of those frustrating situations where they didn't want to do something unsafe, but also potentially they could have been a bit braver. Uh, but what do you, you know, what do you make of, of Vettel this weekend? I think I think it was pretty good from him. Oh, absolutely, yeah. If if he can keep doing that, uh, what he's doing, we can. I think we can all safely assume at this point that Ferrari is not competing for wins or poles, so he doesn't have to worry about that sort of uh, you know score sheet. He's not he's not going to get back against you know Charles's seven poles from last year in this year's car, but if he keeps on putting his car ahead, whether that's, you know, fifth to Charles's sixth or ninth to Charles's tenth, whatever it is, well then, yeah, I mean, he's proving why he should still be in the sport and why Ferrari should not have gave up on him when they did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th I think if it continues like this, Ferrari are going to end up looking very silly 
um, because at the moment he's wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> it wouldn't. It wouldn't. Um, yeah, I think I think that it's difficult because strategy did play such a, a big role in this, and I thought someone who really nailed a bad strategy was Ricardo because you know he was running so long in the, on the mediums, and Renault were basically just like, please rain, please rain, please rain. But then they kind of had to change him eventually. But I think it showed how good his pace was on those medium tyres that he'd been running on for about 40-odd laps that he, he kind of hadn't really fallen back. Um, and then you get the flip side of, of Ferrari where I think clearly the soft was just not a good tyre here. It was graining really quickly and that was making it really difficult. And obviously they made the decision to put uh, Leclerc onto that tyre and that really didn't pay out. So... I think that I, I don't want to be kind of too critical of the teams because they didn't really have any experience running in these these kind of conditions. Uh, you know, half wet, half dry, you know, slightly colder than they were expecting. But do you think that any teams make the kind of like strategy gaff, or do you think it was just a really tough situation to, to pull off a strategy correctly? Well, in these sort of conditions, I think you're always taking a risk. That's the thing. It's not necessarily... Uh doing something wrong it's just whether that risk pays off and like with Haas it obviously did even though they had the penalty um, that was still the right call for them and for like other teams and the further up the grid you go as well where it's it's a bit more that that midfield is exceptionally competitive uh, then it's very hard to take those risks Uh, absolutely and yeah kind of loathe not to have mentioned Haas so far because that was brilliant Um, I that, that, that decision, again, is a baffling one to give them a penalty. Like, Grosjean and, and Magnussen both asked to change tyres and then to say that that was, like, the drivers running unaided. But, yeah, I, I don't really understand that because, you know, all teams calculate the strategy of the drivers in the pit lane. The drivers aren't coming up with the strategy themselves in the car. So I don't really know why that applies differently on the formation lap to it, how it does in the, in the rest of the race. But, yeah, I thought there's a really, really impressive performance from Magnussen. Yeah, he knew when to defend. He knew when to to let people go. He just kept up a really solid pace, and you know, I, I'm I'm so glad that he managed to just hold on to a point because that would have been absolutely like gut wrenching had he had he lost out on a point because of a, a, a kind of weird technicality that I've I've never seen before. Yeah, I, I think uh, Michael Massey said something along the lines of basically on on that formation lap, you're only allowed to instruct someone to pit for safety reasons, which as you say to me, it doesn't really, it doesn't really sort of make sense. I, I think, and I wrote this in my article I've just put up just before is that I, I would assume this is some sort of relation to the rules they had a few years ago where there was that whole controversy with Nico Rosberg getting coached by his engineer and he was asking for coaching at like every corner. And so the, some of that wording might still be in the, the sporting regulations or something. And maybe that's why, it's sort of come back there, even though I don't think you know any outside observer thought that was unfair what they did. Um, and as you say, obviously it's 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 nice that they still get the get the got to keep uh, at least one point there because uh, it was well deserved. And you do have to sort of uh, tip your hat to uh, Magnussen and Grosjean. I mean, when you're running third and fourth, and they're looking, you know, they're driving like they deserve to be there to a degree. I mean, not in terms of outright pace or anything, but we're so used to those two guys and just the team in general doing something to make fools of themselves that, you know, as much as it's a loss for comedy, uh, it's still, 
it's still it's still nice to see. Uh, it's nice to see them, you know, doing what F1 teams are supposed to be doing and uh, executing on track. Let's hope that the Drive to Survive cameras were there when Gunter Steiner found out that Magnussen was getting a penalty because yeah, that could be really funny. Um, yeah, I think Magnussen definitely did a better job than Grosjean. Um, you know, Grosjean just, you know, basically once he was caught by the first car behind them, just slid back and you know, I think finished 15th. Um, you know, behind a couple of other drivers like Ocon and, and Norris and Kvyat, who are, you know, way down compared to uh, compared to him in terms of at that stage of the race. But Magnussen, I think, just really held on on well. And if you look at the cars that passed him, you know, like Stroll, Albon, Vettel, Perez, Ricardo, you know, those are much quicker cars. So, you know, I've got absolutely nothing to say about Magnussen other than that that was a brilliant performance and he absolutely maximised. Uh, the performance of the car um, just before we, we go I think we'll just have a quick word about uh, Renault and McLaren I, I just don't think that this is a good track for, for either of those teams um, this year it, it it just looked like neither of them were you know considering they were right up there with Ferrari Racing Point and even Red Bull in the first two races yeah this looked like a, a difficult one for, for both those teams yeah and the strange thing is is that I think most of us operating under the assumption that the weak part of both those cars is the engine, but then they go to a high downforce track and that's where they lose the speed. So yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of, of, of that. Uh, it's very strange. Um, I think it's very close between the two of them. And I think today really the only, the only sort of differing factor was Ricardo himself as much as I'm sure people would have called me biased and I totally am. Um, but yeah, I think I'm not too worried. I'm not too worried about what's sort of going on there. I just think for whatever reason, they neither of them had the right aero package for this track. But I'm sure they'll bounce back in Silverstone. I wouldn't describe myself necessarily as a Ricardo fan, but I, I would agree with you. I think that was a a really good performance from there, and I think he was he was the difference maker. Um, just talking about Silverstone, obviously we'll we'll have a a preview podcast uh, for that uh, race uh, next week, and hopefully we'll have a bit more clarity when it comes to the racing point rolling on the brake ducts following Renault's protest, uh, and maybe just a little bit more information uh, about that in general. But uh, I'm really looking forward to Silverstone. Um, I think that Austria and Hungary are both quite unique tracks in the kind of requirements. Obviously, Austria, we've got the altitude issue. We have it basically just being an incredibly short lap, uh, lots of straights. And then Hungary basically being the opposite of that, being just a, a lot of slow twisty corners you've got a couple of nice like fast corners through the middle section but you know it's very technical and you know not very power sensitive whereas i think silverstone has a has a nice marriage of of kind of like technical slower corners but also some brilliant fast corners that we love to watch formula one cars go through so i'm, I'm just really looking forward to to that race not you know I, I think it's always one of the highlights of the calendar but i think this year in particular it will give us maybe a bit of a better idea of, of what the running order is. But um, before we let you go, I think that it's time to look at our predictions uh, for Hungary. And unfortunately for uh, me, uh, Ben has actually taken the lead um, in our predictions table. Yeah. What? Um, who would have thought it? Uh, so Ben predicted correctly that Lewis Hamilton would win and also that Max Verstappen would hold on for second. Although I doubt that you predicted exactly how that second place would come about. No, I wouldn't have uh, 
pretty no, good. Quite uh, good so you got though. the 1-2 correct. You actually went for Carlos Sainz in third, but he actually finished down in ninth. Ah. So um, you only get two points there. Uh, I went for, just got it the wrong way around with Verstappen and Hamilton. Uh, so no points for me there. And just got it yeah. the wrong way around, he says. <laughs> like it was a, yeah, a scary Yeah, it, it was very minute. close. Just a, you know, 30 Jeez. odd seconds until Hamilton took that late pit stop. Um, and then Sergio Perez, I had third. Uh, I think, you know, don't want to kind of relitigate, but I think had Perez had a better weekend, that was potentially a possibility. So I hope to see more from, from Racing Point and from Perez in particular at Silverstone. Uh, first DNF, we both got wrong. Uh, I went for Norris, you went for Ocon, and it was actually the only retirement of the whole race was Pierre Gasly, who I probably should give a shout-out to, maybe Q3 once again. He's a good driver in an AlphaTauri. There's no doubt about it. He's just getting a lot of bad luck. But, um, yeah, Ben takes the lead, I think. Uh, let me just have a look quickly. Yeah, he's now 4-3 ahead in the predictions table, and uh, we'll give him a week to enjoy that before I absolutely smash him as we go to Silverstone. Um, but yeah uh, thanks for for listening to everyone once again Uh, please do follow us on Twitter at Grand Prix 24-7 and visit our site we've got lots of uh, opinion and news following uh, the last three weekends Um, also if you want to support the podcast please do give us a good rating on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast but uh, thanks for listening and uh, we'll speak to you next week see ya see ya